0: Welcome to Personal Best and I want to extend a very warm welcome to all who are coming to us from the Runner's World Show. Thank you for hanging in there. We know it's been a while. We told you at the end of the summer that the Runner's World Show was taking a break and that when we came back the show would be called Personal Best. The name was one of the changes we've made over the last few months. Personal Best is a show for everyone interested in fitness, health, and wellness. It will feature influential voices from across the athletic spectrum. We'll talk to runners, cyclists, and triathletes, climbers, swimmers, and yogis, master's athletes, and fitness trainers. We'll talk to visionaries unhappy with the status quo in their sport and who are determined to change it. We'll also talk to the people who've devoted their lives to improving the health and wellness of others. And we'll explore the issues that active people care about, things like nutrition, injury prevention, training, and mental strategies for success no matter what your next goal is. In short, we're a show for the health conscious, for the active, fit person who is trying to live his or her best life for listeners who are always striving to achieve their personal best in whatever they do. I'm Brian Dalek, one of the editors at Runner's World, and I'll be hosting this show. I'm really excited to be back in our studio and to share the interview I did with Bart Yasso. The chief running officer for Runner's World is facing a huge change in his life, and I was lucky enough to catch a break in his crazy schedule to ask him about it. If you're a runner, chances are you know who Bart Yasso is. Maybe you've met him at a race or maybe you've heard him give a talk at an expo. Maybe you've read his memoir, My Life on the Run, or his new book that came out last month called Race Everything, How to Conquer Any Race at Any Distance in Any Environment and Have Fun Doing It. Or maybe as a reader of Runner's World, you've come to know him as the guy who has run in every state, on every continent, in more than 150 marathons. He's the guy who invented the Yasso 800s and who regularly travels up to 40 weekends a year to races around the country and the world. Maybe you're one of the people who has been inspired to start running or return to running or just keep on running because of the magic that is Bart Yasso. His blend of enthusiasm, generosity, expertise, and genuine love for running has touched literally thousands of lives. And now, after a career that has lasted 30 years, Bart is leaving Runner's World. He's retiring. And we never thought we'd see the day, and we kind of can't believe it so i had a lot of questions for bart i wanted to talk about his new book race everything his role as the running whisperer the many letters he's gotten over his career including one from micah true otherwise known as caballo blanco he's the ultra runner made famous by the book born to run and i wanted to ask about how running has shaped his life and helped him cope with often debilitating pain but I had to start with the most pressing question of them all. Okay, Bart, so when you announced your retirement earlier this year and you know, you've gone through this process, it's almost the end of 2017. It, it really makes me think that probably the main question you're going to be getting these last few months is um, why was now the right time for Bart Yasso's yeah, so retirement?
1: Yeah, Brian, what a great question because that is the question <laughs> I get all the time. Like everyone says, Bart, you got the greatest job in the world. Who would retire from that? And uh, you know, bottom line, it's it's a health issue for me. I've been struggling with my health for a while. Lyme disease has really been brutal, and I just can't. I just can't keep up with the rigors of travel and everything I do. So I, you know, I'm at the age that I can retire. 30 years on the road, 30 years at Runner's World, it's been a great ride. But, you know, everything has an ending point. And, you know, even if I stayed another four years, I would have to retire. So, you know, I just think it's the right time for me to go. I'm going to concentrate on my health and try to get healthier and stay off the road and not travel as much. And, uh, you know, it's it's not easy to do because uh, I love working at Runner's World and I love my job, but uh, you know, health is is paramount, and I I gotta get off the road so I can try to get myself healthier.
0: And when you say rigors of the road, um, you know, in previous talks I've had with you, you've said like forty times, yeah. forty <laughs> weekends a year you're traveling. Is that what it was for this I, year too?
1: Yeah. Yeah, this year I cut back a little bit. It'll be about 35 weekends, but, uh, you know, I've been steady for a lot of years traveling for 40 trips a year where I fly somewhere to, and, you know, that doesn't count the little day trips to New York City or here or there, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's arduous, and, uh, you know, when you do it for 30 years, you just – you hit a point where, wow, can I keep going? Uh, you know, I'll still travel a little bit, but I really think uh, – that's one of the things that uh, you know is is hurting my health, and I, I want
0: to get away from it. You said you still want to travel a little bit, and I did want to ask this question, so I'll get to it now. So, out of all the years that you've been doing this, you've been to so many places. Is there anywhere you haven't been that <laughs> yeah. you're like waiting for that right moment to get to?
1: Yeah, I mean, I always say I've I've run all over the world because I've run on all seven continents, mm-hmm. and. Basically, you know, all over the world. There's little pockets of places I haven't been to, but you know, I don't. There's nothing I really, you know. I think I've seen it all. I, I really feel like I have a, you know, a, a, experienced that personal personal connection with people all over the world and different cultures. And uh, you know, there's a couple places that I want to go back to, uh, like South Africa and Tanzania specifically. Uh, but I don't think there's any place where I say, I got to go there. You know, I, I really uh, I think I've seen it all. And, uh, you know, if something comes up, place I haven't been to, you know, I may take advantage of it and go to a place. But there's nothing like I'm sitting here making a list. Mm-hmm. I got to go here. I don't, I don't have a list right now.
0: So when you have half of your more than half of your weekends back in a calendar year, how does the mayor running now fill his time? Yeah, I know. I know you like to golf. Um, I do like to golf. You've invited me out a few times and I've <laughs> never joined you. Um, yeah. But what else is on that list? A
1: lot of relaxation. Uh, you know, do my morning run. About I I I say you know it's still a morning run if you start at eleven fifty nine a.m. So that's when my morning run will start because I don't have any pressures to get to work and. Get, get in the office. So, uh, you know, nice leisurely morning run. You know, I still love to ride my bike, which I will do. Uh, but really, you know, I'll spend more time at home and do things around my house. My house is an old house built in 1749, always in need of tender loving care. So uh, I could work on something in my house every day for the next 40 years and there'd still be a few things to fix in my house. So just, you know, little things keep me busy and... uh I want to still connect with the running community, just on a much smaller scale, and uh, you know, as I said, not travel as much.
0: What's the one project in your house that you've put off the longest that you have to get to right away?
1: I had a, a number one thing is to uh, fix the my deck, and on the back, it's starting to fall apart. So I got to get my. I spent a lot of time <laughs> on my deck out back, so I got to get that squared away.
0: So sounds like you're excited to kind of have this time to yourself but what will you miss about all of this
1: yeah my my love for running and my joy in running has always been meeting the running community engaging with the community and having a, having a platform that I have at runners world where I could really engage with the running community at events and you know running stores and running clubs and uh, that's what I will miss because the running community is so inspiring to me and it's motivated and inspired me for many, many years. And, uh, you know, you hear those amazing stories and when you really get that chance to meet the runner in person and get to look in their eyes and when they tell you their journey and what they've overcome, uh, it's, it's an amazing experience. You know, I talk about the physical part of my job, but my job is very emotional. Uh, you know, people, I don't know. There's some reason they uh, they open up and tell me their entire story. And uh, a lot of them bring me to tears. It's tough. And that I get that ex- experience every weekend when I go to a race. Probably
0: more than once. Like uh, every probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And it's hard, you know. Uh, you know, going through my office, I'm getting all these letters that I say from people and, you know... Uh, I always think about cleaning out my office, but it's actually cleaning out my inbox on my computer of all these messages I saved from people that some of them have passed on, like Caballo Blanco sent me a congratulations on finishing Comrade's email. For some reason, I hung on to that email and you know, Caballo Blanco, famous Caballo Blanco, uh, Micah True is not with us anymore. So I look at that email every once in a while and things like that that I have in my computer I got to sort out and store and, you know, some I'm going to keep, some I, you know, obviously we will sort through it all. And, you know, nice handwritten letters that I got, uh,
0: you know, that stuff is, uh, you know, it's powerful. I didn't ask you to bring any um, letters, but have have there been any recently that really stand out from people yeah. that come in?
1: Yeah. I just got a letter from uh, my dear friend, Chad Elkovich, he's from upstate New York. and. Uh, you know, I call him a kid, but I'm I'm assuming Chad's in his mid 30s these days. When I met him, he was a kid, but he has a mental disability, which you know he has the IQ of a of a first grader, but he's a you know he's a grown man right now. And uh, but he writes me letters, and he wrote me a happy retirement letter, and it's it's the sweetest thing what he writes. You know, and he calls me his dear running friend, and it's really cool that we always stay connected. I send emails to his dad and his. Dad emails me and
0: says, "Chad asked this and uh, things like that are very special." His letters mean a whole lot to me. Well, that's one example. One weekend you probably meet this person. So, where did you meet Chad? Yeah, like how long ago and how long have you stayed connected? So,
1: Chad, I met at the uh, the race in the Lehigh Valley, the half marathon, what they call the St. Luke's half marathon, put on by the Lehigh Valley Roadrunners, and I was the race co-race director with Neil Novak uh, many years ago, and. You know, I always ask for people's stories, and uh, Chad's dad reached out to me and told me Chad's story. And uh, you know, when I met him, Chad has this disability. He knows he's different when he's around other people and people his own age, but when he runs, he doesn't feel different because he can run. I mean, the hardest part of of Chad's running was he's. His dad isn't as fast as he is, so I wrangled some people like our very own Warren Green to run with them at the half marathon, and he got his half marathon time down to, I believe right now about 125. Wow. So the kid can run. You just have to get someone that can keep up with them to to make sure he doesn't go off course because he real really will get lost out there. Uh, but you know, you know, you can just see it in his eyes when he's out there running. Everyone's the same one foot in front of the other, push yourself as as hard as you can and get to that finish line and that's what chad does and you know he was denied things at in school and his dad fought for him and uh, was able to break some barriers that chad could do things at school and go mainstream and uh you know it's just a it's a cool story to think that that running was our connection that's how we connected and uh you know he's just a <laughs> i it, the letters I'm telling you you know You get tears reading them, but it's a happy thing in the end.
0: So taking in all of these stories from runners around the country and around the world, I'm assuming when you started going to races and being an ambassador for all of this, that's something you weren't quite expecting right away. So how did you learn to listen to people and just emotionally connect? Because people just go up to you and they tell you these amazing stories about what they've overcome.
1: Yeah, Brian, you know, it, I believe it comes down to, well, first off, I was never comfortable speaking to a group. I was like everyone else. I was, uh, you know, I had that public speaking fear, and now I speak 45 times a year, yeah. sometimes crowds of 2,000 people, and I have no fear of these, you know, and haven't for the last 30 years. But it didn't start out like that. Uh, but I think it came down when I when I got the job at Runner's World. And they wanted me to connect with the running community. I knew I had to break out of whatever shell I had, why I didn't like public speaking or you know, I don't know what it was, but I got out of that shell quickly and uh, you know it and and I realized I was good at it and I liked it and I just started connecting with people and it's it just never stopped. But I never thought that this would lead to what what it turned out to be. And same when I wrote the book uh, My Life on the Run with Kathleen Parrish. You know, I was like, okay, it's my story. Do I really want to tell my life story? And the answer was no. I didn't want to tell my life story. But people kept telling me I have a great story and they're interested in my story. So I caved in and with Kathleen, we came out to book My Life on the Run and You know, looking back, I'm glad I did because I meet these people that come up to me and the book inspires them and they've taken their running to a next level because of the book. And people never thought they should be a runner or would be a runner, but the book gets them to take those first steps and go out there and challenge themselves. And so I don't know what I do to inspire them, but I'm just happy I do. And I think it's just being myself. But there's something, you know, something either I've overcome, you know, I've had problems with. Lyme disease, and, you know, I took the wrong path when I was younger and thought drugs and alcohol were the way to go, and thank, thank God I got away from that, but but something in that book connects with people, and uh, and then they're, they open up and tell me their story.
0: We were speaking last week, and you kind of told me that, um, in a way, you're almost like a, a running therapist as yeah. people come <laughs> up to you. Um, the, so... the
1: running whisperer I get called every once in a while.
0: So when you hear stuff from people, what's your way to like just kind of embrace what they're saying and remember them? Because you're also very good with remembering people like, you know, names off the top of your head. Um, There's a really good anecdote from the beginning of your new book, Race Everything, where in the foreword, our former editor in chief, David Willey, he writes that you can recognize people by. Their quads, like <laughs> yeah. in a picture with no faces. Um, yeah. So, how do you kind of lock in that emotional connection with people?
1: Yeah, I feel I've been very lucky. I have a, you know, we're all good at something, we're all bad at something. I'm terrible at math, but for some reason, I have a photographic memory. You know, uh, I, I don't know what. Uh, I don't do anything special. Like when someone tells me her name, I don't try to like align <laughs> it with something. I just, I just have it. I. People look at me when, you know, they met me once and then I see them like three or four years later and I say, oh, yeah, we met at the Little Rock Marathon 2011 and they're like, wow, you know, and I know their name and their dog's name and they're like, what? It? I'm just very lucky. I do have that photographic memory. If I go somewhere one time, I could drive back and do the exact same route 30 years later and I'll remember every turn and, you know, I just, I just retain that. But you know, there's other stuff I don't do well, (laughs) so I I don't know. Maybe I was given that gift, and uh, but it but I use it to my advantage.
0: You know, I look at you as like this great motivator. So many people look at you as a great motivator. Do you look? To anybody, whether it's in running or not, that you consider as like good examples to follow in life, or running, or just being in physically good shape, or anything like that. Yeah,
1: you know, there's. I mean, I always say I'm motivated by the entire running community mm-hmm. because it is so uh, the camaraderie out there, and uh, you know the way people inspire everyone. But you know, I'm lucky to meet people like. You know, Shalane Flanagan and Ryan Hall and Mepka Flesky and, uh, you know, I wanted to be an elite runner. I mean, that's what I thrived on and, you know, trained as hard as I could in the old days starting in the 70s. And, you know, I never hit that level. Uh, but, you know, to m- meet and know these people personally, it's amazing. Uh yeah, and just to remind people, Shalane Flanagan, she is our top female distance runner in the U.S. for the past couple of years, uh, just an amazing, amazing athlete, multi-time Olympian and Olympic medal to her resume. Ryan Hall, first runner ever to break one hour and a half marathon on U.S. soil. He ran 59.43 in the half marathon and a 2.04 marathon personal best. And Mev Kaflesky champion on New York City Marathon, Boston Marathon, Olympic medalist in the marathon, and just one of the greatest ambassadors of our sport. So yeah, it's fun that you can call these people your friend, and you you really get to know them well personally. But the community, you know, as a whole, is so powerful, and that's what I really thrive on. One of the things when with the book, race everything is. You know, I said right from the beginning the premise I was going to use was, you know, when the gun goes off, we all follow the same path to the finish line. Some people run it faster than others, and that's the way it is. But if there's 6,000 people in the race, there's 6,000 different stories how that runner got to that starting line. And that's really what I love
0: about our sport. So... Moving on to the book a little bit, just going through it, I know you outline some of your favorite races at every distance. So this might be a difficult question for you. If there's only one race you could go back to or just do for the rest of your life, what is that one race? Oh,
1: that's easy. That's the Comrades Marathon in South Africa. It is an ultra 56 miles, even though they call it a marathon. But if I physically could do it, I would do that race every year. But uh, I haven't, you know, I only did it once, once in 2010, and it, uh, it took its toll on me. Uh, even though I run races a lot longer than that, I just, uh, the physical problems I had, it, it beat me up. Uh, I, I couldn't run for almost, it was about two months uh, till I was able to run one mile after finishing Comrades. So it was a tough recovery.
0: If you had one race in the states, oh, in the states,
1: by far the Boston Marathon. That would be the one. Boston is just such a special race, and uh, you know it was really fun to qualify in the old days. Back when they had that tough standard, you know, everyone had to run two hours and fifty minutes on the men's side, women had to run three hours and twenty minutes. It was a tough standard back then, but but we thrived on that, Mm -hmm. and uh, that's really what motivated me to keep going back to boston
0: yeah you fought like hell to get down to that standard when you were trying to get into it right
1: yeah there was no other way into the race back then so you either ran 250 or you didn't go there were no charity slots or not there was no other way uh so yeah you we trained hard to get there and uh you know and then eventually i was able to qualify all the time but it but it wasn't it wasn't easy you know i ran 240 so i could get under by 10 minutes but but Still had to work hard and be consistent every year to get to get back there. What was the mileage
0: at at that point for you?
1: You know, per week, it, it around 100 miles a week. Back in the 70s and 80s, if you met a marathoner, everyone did 100 miles a week, and uh, it was just commonplace. I don't profess that now, and I certainly don't do that now. I don't, don't even do 100 miles a month these days. But uh, back then, it was just so common. Everyone. Everyone I trained with, everyone I knew all doing 100-plus miles a
0: week. So working with so many people and coaches over the years and seeing how the sport has changed from the 80s to the 90s to now, what is kind of the best running advice you've ever been given that you think is still relevant today and that people should really be using? The one
1: thing I always say, and I say this to myself all the time, is I want to be a runner for life. So I treat every run like that. I don't. Uh, I don't think the short term. I'm not going to go out there and pound myself and beat myself up and then, and uh, be out of this sport in the next year or two. I really want to be a runner for life. When I meet these runners in their 70s and 80s and they're out there doing races, and you know, I do a lot of award ceremonies and I give awards out to 70, 80 year old runners, and I man, I tell them. I, <laughs> When they come up on that stage, I get the crowd going wild for these people because we all want to be these people, or at least I i know I do, and I think a lot of other runners want to keep doing this, so uh, yeah, I really, I don't know where I got that mindset uh, to be a runner for life, but it, it happened early in my running career, and I've stuck to it.
0: There's a whole chapter on having longevity in the sport and yeah. race everything, and I wanted to touch on that. So along with the mindset, what else do you think are keys to, you know, like you, if someone wants a 30, 40 year running career and to be healthy and happy with it, what things do they need to be doing now to get to that point?
1: Yeah. Number one is to cross train, to to try different things, whether it's cycling, swimming, going to the gym, the elliptical, whatever it is. Uh, You know, the sport is a hard sport, especially if you're you know, on the endurance side, doing a lot of half marathons, marathons. It's a tough thing on the body. I think the people that just run and run and run, and, you know, there's no graph that just keeps getting stronger, faster, better. It doesn't exist mm-hmm. in running. So you got to take these, the downtime. And you can still run. When I say downtime, I don't mean, you know, stop running, but you don't worry about the pace you're running and you don't worry about all the weekly mileage. You just take an easy week or two and let your body recover from a race and then you get back into it. And if you
0: do that, you're gonna be around a lot longer and avoid the injuries, that is the key. You mentioned Comrades as being a great achievement um, as in your running life. Is there is there another best racing moment that if when I ask you, what's your favorite racing moment? What, yeah, is there, is there anything that stands out?
1: You know, I, I think of that often, and it's a question people ask me. And you know, I think, okay, I've been fortunate enough to win some races, which was really cool. And I won some big races uh, in the triathlon world and the duathlon world. I was pretty good on a bike, uh, but you know, that that stuff doesn't resonate long term. What I remember is. Like running the Rome Marathon and stopping to give my mom a hug who was on the side of the road. I mean, my mom's hanging out at Trevi Fountain. She's mm-hmm. really never traveled internationally and she was a you know, an older woman at the time in her seventies and uh you know, uh, it was really I mean, I'm glad I took the time to stop running and spend time with her and give her a hug. And she she'd been to my races before. She was used to me running on the you know, as fast as I could, or what we call the old days, running on the edge of death. You know, you just mm-hmm. always ran as hard as you could, and she couldn't figure out why I stopped to give her a hug, and I wasn't worried about my time, and I said, Mom, it's all it's all good. And then uh, I saw her at the 20-mile mark and stopped again and gave her a hug, and uh, you know, that's what I remember. Uh, those would be my favorite running moments, you know, and you don't know it at the time. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, my mom passed uh, nine years ago. And so, looking back, that's the stuff I remember. And that's the stuff that'll stay with me. It is fun to win races, and uh, but it doesn't, it's not what defined you as a person, mm-hmm. uh, or certainly doesn't define me as a person. I, I, the connection I have with my mom, that defines me. And, and that's what I remember
0: most. So, on the opposite end of the spectrum, though. Uh, do you have a worst racing moment or a most embarrassing yeah. <laughs> moment in a race? I believe I only dropped out of two
1: races, but I do remember dropping out of Boston. And I was on a pretty fast pace, but I I mean, I mean, didn't know how sick I was. Uh, I do now, and I, I did once I uh, got to a hospital and when I got back home, but I knew something was drastically wrong, so I'm thankful that I did stop and didn't really hurt myself permanently. Mm. Uh, But that's not fun to do to stop at the Boston, you know, to drop out of the Boston Marathon. But I was convinced I could run under 240 at age 46 or whatever I was, and I held that pace for like 23 miles, and then, you know, somewhere 23, 24, I was, I just was in another zone, and I didn't know what was wrong. And next thing I knew, I was on the sidewalk somehow and didn't know what was happening. Uh, But I was able to get back to downtown and get to my hotel, and then ended up in the doctor the next day, and then I was on antibiotics for quite a while. I didn't know I had, you know, I didn't know that much about Lyme disease until I really got, to, well, now I contracted it four separate occasions, uh, but you get all these uh, reoccurrences, of, you know, the symptoms of the disease that get you when you really push hard, and, uh, you know. I'm just glad I stopped that day because I was not physically in a pretty bad way.
0: When there are days when you, you know, from the Lyme disease or anything else that's ailing you, like, were there times where you're like, it's just not, today is the day where it's not going to happen, I'm not going to continue running, and how do you mentally get through that? Yeah, I mean,
1: I I take off a lot more days mm-hmm. than I run because, I, you know, I just physically can't do it. and. There are days where I say to myself, uh, okay, if it gets to that point where the pain is 10 times more than the joy, it's time to stop. But the joy is still there. I mean, the pain's there, and I do have some problems, but but the joy's still there. So, uh, you know, I keep going out. And I, I check with my doctors all the time, you know. You know, some doctors say don't run, and some say, you you know, there's nothing more. You can't hurt yourself anymore, you know, don't don't. Don't stop the running. You're not going to run 100 miles a week ever. Uh, uh, but, you know, it's a, I don't mind running 20 miles a week. It makes me happy, and I do still get a lot of joy out of it. So as long as the joy is there, I'm going to keep going. But I, but I do think, I think often that if I wasn't working at Runner's World, if I wasn't so connected with the running community, I may have stopped running uh, years ago when I contracted Lyme because it was painful and it wasn't fun at all. Uh, but eventually, you know, I get past it and just realize, okay, you're creating this pain by trying to be the runner you were and you can't do it anymore. You just got to accept what you have and be happy with it. And once I made that change, uh, things have been all right.
0: So in Race Everything, which I've been going through, it's a great book. Um, you talk about racing at every type of distance from 5K yeah. to marathon, relay events, ultras, unusual types of races, races, yeah, Um, and you even have like sections on like how to run your best New York City, how to run your best Boston. Um, But across all those distances, um, are there any universal tips uh, that you think people should be using to run their personal best in any type of race? Like if you had three tips, what do you think they'd be from the book?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, the book was fun to work on because I got to look back at all the things I did and really try to figure out what worked and what didn't work and what I would like people to learn and and for certain things people not to do. Uh, but, you know, if there are three tips, the one by far is you're going to run your best when you can continuously train. And that doesn't mean continuously train hard. It means... Avoid injuries, and you just build a nice base where you're just getting some miles, and then you you pick a specific race you're going to do, and then you train for that race. That's when you really do well. But when you have a a couple of years of consistent running, that's when you're you're going to do well. So consistency and injury, and the way to do that is to stay injury free. Two is just to uh, is to really pick a goal that is obtainable. But also push yourself. Not say not something that's so easy that you didn't have to really bust your butt to do it. You know, pick something, but but it can't be you know. You can't pick a goal. I'm going to win the New York City Marathon. If you're not you know an elite <laughs> runner already, but you know break four hours in a marathon or three hours in a marathon or five hours. Whatever, whatever it is, you know. Make sure it's it's you're not there, but you are pretty sure you can attain it, and then you're willing to do that work to get there. And then three, that tip is, you know, the beauty of running is the clock never lies. Your reward in running, you know, no one can take it from you. Your reward is those numbers on that clock, the hard work you did, that reward is waiting for you at the finish line. There are no shortcuts. You know, there's not one food you can eat that's going to make you this much faster. You know, you got to live a healthy lifestyle. Think of being a runner 24 7, but the bottom line is you have to do the work. And, you know, the harder you work, the more you commit to it, that reward is waiting for you at the finish line. But you got to get, you know, you got to get to the starting line. You got to do the work, get to the starting line, and reward yourself at the
0: finish line. So, thinking about your career here at Runner's World and just your running life, even before Runner's World, what do you think running in the sport has taught you about life and kind of living your best life in general?
1: Yeah, the thing I the thing I learned from being involved in this sport all the time is we just have to give people opportunity. You know, when I started, there were very few women in the sport. Uh, there was very, very little diversity in the sport. But I watched people thrive in our sport when they were given the opportunity and I just watch people, you know, just use women as an example, uh, you know, just given that opportunity and encouraged to be out there. And now, now I go to races, the, the wine glass marathon that I was just at had 70% women in the, in the race. It's unbelievable. And if I was there 40 years ago, there would have been seven women, literally seven women in the race. You know, they were just given the opportunity and they, you know, Literally, no pun intended, ran with it and, and taken it to the next level. And people of disability, uh, you know, I talked about Chad. He was given the opportunity to run, and he's taken it to a whole new level. And that's what, that's what we need to do as a society in many ways. Uh, and it's a, it's a great lesson to learn and run
0: that was my conversation with the Chief Running Officer of Runner's World, Bart Yasso. The guy who can retire, but who will always remain the Mayor of Running. You can go to runnersworld.com audio to find more info on Bart's books, his memoir My Life on the Run, and his most recent book that he co-wrote with our very own Aaron Strout called Race Everything how to conquer any race at any distance, in any environment, and have fun doing it. You'll also find links to Bart's appearances on the Runner's World Show. And that's it for this first episode of Personal Best. I'm your host, Brian Dalek, and this episode was produced by Sylvia Ryerson and Christine Fennessy. Be sure to join us next week for an interview with a woman on a mission to change the face of cycling. Thanks for listening and we'll see you then.